Welcome to the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast, part of the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network, where we put the power of dynamic fitness back in your hands one mental rep at a time. Effective thinking for potent fitness. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. I'm so glad to be here again. I have another awesome guest with me today. Ali, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. So we record on a Monday, we release on a Monday. Do you have any favorite parts to like of your day that like really start the week for you? Well, my weeks, my my week is kind of like a hill, and I start at the highest point of the hill. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is just it's just packed with everything. And then my week slowly kind of moves down. So, but it starts off really nice. I start off with a workout with a personal trainer, me, my wife, work out, you know, early in the morning. It's a great way to start. And then, and then the rest of the day is easier than the workout was. So that's, that's good. <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting way to start the week. And, you know, it's not like the type of like you start at the top of the hill and like you're, rolling down, uh, like in a trash can, like going down, you know, you're, you're, you're enjoying the view instead. And like, you know, and, and getting all of like, like the energy you need for the rest of the week. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And it's like, it's like by, uh, Wednesday, I I feel like I've succeeded. Like the (laughs) week has been a success no matter what happens for the rest of the week. I got, I got my hours in, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. So this is, you're a part of that. So thank you. Nice. Yeah. My Mondays are podcasting and maybe like some uh, mentoring and I love it. I love Mondays. Always have. (laughs) Welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. And please tell us more about you, what the letters are behind your name, what you do, who you work with. Yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I have my own private practice in Burke, Virginia. Uh, but as part of the pandemic, I also started another bigger practice that's more than just me. And that's called GI psychology. And the idea is that there are very, very few people who are trained uh, to help patients with GI disorders using mind-body techniques. And so I was pretty much the only one in the DC metro area. And I wanted to correct that. So I started, you know, this practice and um, I train people, um, you know, I train the clinicians and then I, I, I get the word out. Um, and then the other piece that we do in GS psychology is we work with chronic pain. So mm-hmm. those are the two pieces. And so I hope I answered your question. You did. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, like, it's now it's time to, you know, question mania. Like I have so many. (laughs) So, you know, I was excited to speak with you one because you were introduced by one of my favorite colleagues, Jen Usehold, who is a friend of the podcast. She's been on twice and she's coming back for another one. (laughs) And she's maybe she's an honorary co-host at this point. So, you know, an intro from her is always like, you know, put you 
in a good spot for me. Mm. But I was also excited because I have personal experience with clinical hypnosis and so much of my mental health. And, you know, of course, we all have an experience with mental health, but I definitely have had a really positive experience with clinical hypnosis and running a clinic of my own that is like neuromuscular focused and some pain focused performance focused GI health is not spoken about enough in our performance spectrum. So for me, this is like a really good chance to maybe expose some of my audience and my, you know, one-on-one clients here in Virginia to that uh, thought process. Cause like you being the only one in DC, the whole area that specializes in this is, is really interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about when it was like obvious to you that GI psychology needed to be a thing. You touched on it, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. So you just brought up so many different areas to talk about. My head is spinning. Um, That's yeah. I I have to, I have to acknowledge uh, Jen's awesomeness Mm -hmm. because I ran into, I was connected with her and then we're starting to work on various projects together and she's just a fountain of amazing information. So Mm -hmm. I was glad to be connected to her. I definitely want to be talking about clinical hypnosis at some point, uh, but let's talk first about how you ended your question, which is uh, GI health. And one of the reasons I started GI psychology is because I considered there to be a really stupid problem happening. And this may be the wrong way to say it, but (laughs) when I say a stupid problem, I mean, so let's take IBS, for example, irritable bowel syndrome. It's extremely common. You know, you talk to anyone and they either might have it or they know somebody who has it. And what happens with irritable bowel syndrome is you go through tons of tests, you have pain, you've got all kinds of problems in your GI system. You get tests, you get scoped, and at the end of the day, the doctors tell you, well, we didn't find anything wrong, so you've got irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and you've got to live with it. And maybe you try messing with your diet, and maybe you try some some drugs or um, supplements. Uh, None of it has really been shown to be terribly effective. And while all that's going on, and millions of people have this problem, We've got amazing treatments for it that over the last 30 years have been verified empirically, study after study, 30 years of study. I mean, over 100 studies at my last count uh, showing clinical hypnosis works amazingly for it, as well as specific types of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And most people are familiar with that, but we're talking very specific types of CBT. And so I felt that was a really stupid problem to have, that we have a, a really good treatment and people don't know about it and nobody's trained to use it. Uh, so hmm. I tried to solve that problem, but I'm training people to do it now. And I'm trying to get out here to talk to people so they learn that there's an option other than just living with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, when... <sighs> It's funny because like when I think of IBS, I always think of the opposite. Like one of the most landmark studies of the placebo effect was done 
with patients of IBS. But I thought like the IBS piece where like people were receiving the, the placebo and, you know, having a lot of their problems solved is just like, it just blows my mind. Um, I don't even remember how long ago that was, but to, to your point, um, it's, it's been known and it's been studied and meaning that if there is empirical evidence, meaning that has really piled up. So there really is no excuse for us to like continue to, you know, I guess, ignore the problem, which is that there are other solutions than, you know, the live with it and right. oh, well, <laughs> prescription. And, <laughs> and I, I love that you brought up the placebo study because that was really fascinating because it wasn't just a placebo. It was, I forget the correct term for it. It was an, it was an open placebo, meaning they told people that they were going to give them a placebo. They didn't, de- they didn't deceive them. <laughs> they said, we're going to give you this, you know, substance. It has no medicinal value, but we think it's going to help your IBS. Take it. And people mm-hmm. would take it and they would get better. And so, um, finally, what they've done is they used to call IBS a functional disorder, meaning mm-hmm. we can't find anything wrong with your body. There's a problem with how everything's working together. But now they changed it. They changed the name to something much better. They call it now a disorder of gut-brain mm-hmm. interaction, mm-hmm. which puts it right up front. We know exactly what the problem is. The brain and the gut are not getting along. They're not communicating well. And if we can get them to communicate better, the problem goes away. Oh man. Yeah. The communication piece like that. Yeah. That's something I don't hear about too often in like this, like functional medicine, you know, space about like improving the communication versus like, we have to take these supplements to do it. We have to do it this way. We have to do it this way. And it doesn't have anything to do with the actual you know, conscious mind. So that, or subconscious mind, that's really interesting to think about. So why don't we move on over to subconscious (laughs) mind? (laughs) That's a small topic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just in a couple minutes, we can cover that. No problem. (laughs) No problem. Yeah. But uh, think fit, be fit listeners. If you want to hear more about functional GI health and psychology, Clap at us, clap back. We'll have Dr. Ali back. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. great. Totally. Because if, yeah, I mean, hey, if that's like really interesting, hey, it's interesting to me for sure. The clinical yeah. version of hypnosis is something I experienced um, quite a while ago. It was probably uh, 2008 when I first encountered it. I lost my mother. It's been 20 years now since in 2002. And leading up to that was extremely stressful. Like she had Lou Gehrig's disease and the grief in my early twenties, like kept piling on with the death of other women in my family and just having to survive in general. Like it was, you know, my early twenties were, you know, that chapter is closed. Thank goodness. Um, (laughs) and so 20 years ago, um, I'd been introduced to cognitive therapy as a 17, 16 year old. And thank goodness, obviously I made progress. I stayed with it for quite a while. 
And then around 2008, I was introduced to clinical um, hypnosis because someone in my network had plantar fasciitis (laughs) and they knew I could help with that. So she said, why don't we trade? And I said, yeah, that's how it happened. And I was like, I'm like really open-minded, always have been. I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll lay down. That sounds great. And little did I know, it was literally the cherry on top of years of what I call just talk therapy and grief counseling and working through grief with exercise as well and yoga. Uh, I was offered medications and things like that, but I just, I didn't take anything. And I instead started taking the yoga pill every day. And I got really into that. That might be a whole nother story, but that went into like the Kundalini direction. And it was like little, (laughs) a a little, uh, I don't know, uh, codependent, but I was, you know, happy to foster that relationship. And then the clinical hypnosis, like really through, I mean, when I say the cherry on top, my anxiety melted away within days. And then I knew I had hit something really special and something that really helped me see a whole new lens on life. Um, the anxiety I was experiencing personally was like, oh, very overwhelming. And it just, it took a really long time to untwine even after that. So anyways, what happened? Well, how did I get so? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I love, I love hearing your story. It's very, I think, similar to many of the patients I've seen over the years. I think of, I got into psychology so I could have an excuse to use clinical hypnosis. And, oh, cool. <laughs> and get, yeah. I just, I thought it was the coolest thing and I just wanted to know everything about it. And so I was like, okay, how can I have an excuse to use this amazing thing as much as as much as I'd want to, hmm. okay, I'll become a psychologist, <laughs> and and yeah, and that, that's exactly what I did. And so, I want to. You already kind of laid it out, but let's differentiate entertainment hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. Um, but clinical hypnosis, to me, I consider it the special sauce. It's like my my therapeutic special th- sauce. Mm-hmm. I would not be as nearly as effective a therapist if I didn't integrate hypnosis into almost everything that I do. So I do CBT and I'll help patients with anxiety. And then we use hypnosis as a part of that to to turn the talk therapy, which can be very intellectual, Mm. into an experience, Mm. right? So we can have an idea, okay, I'm doing catastrophic thinking, that isn't a good thing, and I'm recognizing it, and I'm fighting against it. And then we use hypnosis to give someone an experience of using a different kind of thinking and to feel what it would be like to think differently, which is, which is different. It's a different part of the brain. It's a different part of your mind. Uh, to do that than just the intellectual talk therapy aspect, which is very valuable. And when you pair the two, like you Mm -hmm. did, Mm -hmm. you did all the hard work and then you got your cherry on top. And and it goes even faster if you're constantly going back and forth. You know, you're doing the CBT work, 
then you're reinforcing it with hypnosis. And when they do research on integrating hypnosis into CBT, it shows the CBT becomes more effective. So your experience was um, what a lot of people feel when they when they have those two pieces put together. Mm, yeah, I love that part of your story. I, I didn't know it was uh, so. I don't know, reversed as I think a lot of your colleagues might be, and a lot of your students, where they get into hypnosis after all the studying, because it would be interesting to go through. Uh, training and like the academic training with this like reverse engineering kind of like idea. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, I know, I know these changes can happen quickly. I know that the brain is plastic. I know like our subconscious is, is it can change our uh, reality. And then going through and like looking at all the classical kind of knowledge that you need. That's like super interesting to me. I never actually never thought about it that way, but I guess Mm -hmm. you're right. I guess I came into it with the belief that people could change rapidly Mm -hmm. and powerfully. Mm -hmm. And then I got all the standard education, you know, five years of schooling. But I started with that assumption is that people's minds are much more powerful than they understand. Mm, And I think that colored everything that I learned. And I never actually, until you just brought it up, I never thought about that. So (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it also reminds me of, you know, something in our pop culture that would kind of be against the grain of like what what you're what you've experienced, which is that like every I love TV shows with like angst female leads, okay, <laughs> and <laughs> like Sex in the City, right? Or you know where every they're just like questioning everything. And I just sometimes I sit back after I'm done, I'm like, man, these ladies need therapy, and because <laughs> it's like we're just taught that there's just like never ending angst and and mm. struggle to be who you are and what if it's not like that at all and we can recognize our own power and our own like healing ability and then go from there and uh, and then live our life and apply all the things and I I love that thought because I think it's it's very true people have that view that to get to health is never it, you're never going <laughs> to get there you're you it's constant complaining and upset and never satisfied. And um, I can give you an example. I had a patient um, not too long ago, a simple problem. I had a phobia of needles. And then in this COVID time, you know, pretty relevant. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the standard treatment is exposure. So various forms of exposure leading, it's a, you know, a hierarchy of exposure leading up finally to them being able to get the shot. And that's pretty painful treatment. It's it's not pleasant mm-hmm. uh, for the patient and it takes a decent amount of time. I decided to go a different route. Um, we had that option, but I decided to go kind of more focused on the hypnosis aspect. We went back in, I think it was a series of two sessions, discovered the the memories when the phobia was established and it was it was actually two separate events. We processed those, 
in the session. And then when we got done, we asked, and this might sound kind of goofy, but it, it, it happens all the time. We asked her mm-hmm. unconscious if she was ready and it was like, yep, she's good. And so after those two sessions, she went that night and got her COVID shot and it wasn't an issue at all. Mm-hmm. And that's continued. And so it, di- it didn't have to be months of painful exposure work. There, there's mm. the mind can change so quickly. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes it takes time, but sometimes it can really, like, like your experience, mm-hmm. it can happen much more, much more rapidly than you think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and rapidly for me, it's just like a whole, it's always like a change in perception. Um, the, I mean, believe me, the, the, the anxiety tendencies, they're all there. But they're just like much more observable things than me, you know, really trying to bite my partner's head off or, <laughs> or like I, I used to do this. I just crimps my hand. When I was a bartender, I had a nickname and it was like jazz hands because I would get frustrated and like point my fingers out like this. <laughs> So, you know, I, they're just much more observable things now. And, but the tendencies are there. And I mean, it's something I still use even. I still use different um, tracks, I guess, of hyp- hypnosis. And man, so helpful. And I've gotten several of my clients to also do some, whatever they, whatever that for, you know, whatever type of hypnosis, you know, whatever it is, but the clinical hypnosis, what does that exactly mean before I get into kind of how I've convinced people to participate in it from like my client aspect? Yeah. So I think the term clinical hypnosis simply, simply means it's hypnosis that's being done by someone who's clinically trained for a clinically relevant purpose. So, so for example, there, there are people called lay hypnotists, and that might be someone who does a weekend training and maybe just normally they're an HR rep. Mm-hmm. And they, they think hypnosis is really cool and they do a weekend training and they, they throw out a shingle saying, I'm going to help you stop smoking or be the best you that you can be. And then clients come to them. And so they're not clinical. They haven't gone through clinical training and they're not necessarily using it for, for a clinical purpose. And they, and there's some shady, weird stuff out there. Um, I don't even, I don't even go looking around it in that mm-hmm. world anymore, but, and so that's lay, that's the world of lay hypnotists mm-hmm. and it's, and it's not regulated and you don't really know what you're going to get. And some of them are really good. And some of them, who knows? Um, whereas clinical hypnosis, people have licenses, they've really gone through intensive training, and they're very focused on you know solving problems that they know they can solve, mm. right? Mm. Versus just making claims for just anything. Okay, got it. Yeah, the, a lot of the advertising you see for hypnosis might be around weight loss or smoking cessation. Yeah. All great goals. What I'm hearing is the lay hypnosis can get mixed up into that, but also a clinical hip- hypnosis uh, practitioner could also do weight loss sessions or smoking cessation sessions. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
I think the clinical, the the clinician doing hypnosis, let's say for weight loss, is going to take a more balanced approach. They're going to say, no, um, hypnosis isn't the only part of what you need. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, get you hooked up with someone to teach you how to exercise, right? We need to get your diet on point. We need to work on a behavior plan. Like, you know, they're going to wrap it around in, in just a solid treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Versus yeah, that's safe. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, so you're not gonna get people who are injuring themselves because they they run out and they they go try running mm-hmm. too much too fast or or whatever it is. Or they're just not eating enough because you I I'd, I'd say that's probably one of the immediate dangers, is it it's because the, the weight loss hypnosis that I've seen is it's almost like it causes the person to like not eat as much. But then there's like just no context to like what that means or like why they might not why why they should choose certain foods instead of just like not eat as much, you know. So that's all pretty dangerous to just be very clear about that. It's not medical advice or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's just an observation I've made about the marketing. What if I told you the biggest thing standing in the way of peak performance is potentially something as simple as changing how you breathe? We at ThinkFitBeFit rely on science for new ways to optimize performance. That's why we've partnered with NeuroPeak Pro and their new product, the Entel Belt. NeuroPeak has developed the next generation of wearable tech. This belt is a real-time training device designed to teach users how to breathe properly in order to strengthen their resilience to stress, recover quickly, and effectively execute the task in front of them. If you're ready to begin unleashing the true power of breath, download the free NeuroPeak Pro app to experience their precision breath training or dive deeper into the science of breath training by visiting thinkfitbefitpodcast.com slash NPP. Your best training is a breath away. I want to go back to that, my thought before, which was like why I've referred people to clinical hypnosis in my clinical practice. And that's definitely for chronic pain, catastrophic thinking, related to chronic pain. Uh, So what that means is like, I'm scared to move my back because I know this will happen. Uh, I know it'll lock up on me. So it's like they've, you know, a lot of people when they've had back issues, they might have, you know, a real fear of that happening again, which I totally respect. But it also stagnates a lot of progress in the physical, if not weakens them physically, which is my concern. So those are two big ones. And then the third one I've is in athletics, athletic performance, visualization techniques, uh, being able to like employ just different tools for their own, you know, goal setting and and chronic pain wrapped up into that as well. So those are the things that I've referred out to multiple times. And, you know, honestly, it it didn't occur to me that IBS might be one of those things I would refer out for with hypnosis. So like really glad to have that in my back pocket now. Can you speak to those different applications of clinical hypnosis? 
Yeah. So you're getting me fired up because talking about chronic pain <laughs> has just, it's been a passion of mine for a long time, but even more so recently. Um, so I've been helping patients with IBS and other GI disorders, what, what's called functional abdominal pain and nausea, you know, people who have stomach pain a lot or, or people who have they get nauseous a lot for years and years and years, had many, many successful patients. And I never even thought of myself as someone who frequently treats chronic pain. When even though it's absolute, abdominal pain is absolutely chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so so then I started working more with in general with chronic pain patients and the same exact techniques that worked for the IBS are helping them. You just have to modify them. Mm -hmm. uh, but essentially, the, the same problems are happening between their mind and their body as the patients with IBS. Um, mm. And essentially, there are areas in terms of how they're thinking. You, you already laid it out. Catastrophic, hypervigilant thinking. Mm -hmm. we, we have to address that. And then uh, something called visceral hypersensitivity. And that is when the brain decides an area is dangerous. So let's take an athlete who hurt their back and then it's slowly recovered. And, you know, three months later, the tissue should be healed. But in their primitive brain, their brain is still labeling that area as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so what's, what happens is fascinating to me and terrible for them. And that is this visceral hypersensitivity where the primitive brain takes those sensations and amplifies them. And so what you get is healthy, normal sensations in the back get translated into the brain as pain. And it is incredibly common. And most people don't know how crazily common it is. Mm. The brain is literally creating a kinesthetic hallucination. And it's especially, and they've studied back pain a lot. So I'll use that as an example, but it's incredibly common with back pain. Any back pain that's lasted over three months, mm. you're most likely looking at what's called neuroplastic pain. Mm. And that's pain that's shifted from being uh, generated by the tissues and is now being generated by the brain. Mm. Oof. I, have, I have a really good example of something that unfolded in one of my sessions. And I use a lot of muscle, we call muscle positional testing. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a bit beyond applied kinesiology. The short answer is I can test for the connectivity of over 400 muscles and different divisions wow. of muscles. If I, if somebody wants to talk about the gluteus maximus and my glutes are turned off, in my head, I'm like, which, you know, which fiber? Like, because there's multiple glutes. So for me, it's like, it's, it's, it's very, I can think of it very mechanical. Wow. In this way. And so when there's a lack of sensitivity or at, at the shortened range of a muscle position. So audience, if you're listening, if you just like close your elbow that would be a shortened position of your bicep and some forearm muscles, basically. So if the sensitivity isn't very good in that position, a shortened position, the, the, the nervous system is certainly not going to give you mobility for stretched out, very dangerous positions. 
So it limits you essentially. So it's got this like internal mechanism where the the muscles get tight and it's like safety. It's like a safety. Walking on ice is what we call it. Okay. So your body goes down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your center of gravity changes with, with the ice because you got to creep on it, you know? And our job with this, all this muscle testing and muscle activation is essentially to melt the ice, to give Mm. the body a bit more freedom and, and take away that false sense of like a sense of instability by activating the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a pretty high profile wide receiver at one point and he didn't make it very far in the NFL because unlike an, um, scrimmage, whatever they call it, he got his knee blown out in like two directions. So he had total reconstruction beyond ACL reconstruction. And so two ligaments and other various tissues were blown out. So he had a pretty rigorous surgery. And towards the end of where he's like testing out for like jumping on one leg, which is kind of the final piece of a knee rehab is being able to explode and decelerate on that knee that was surgically repaired. There was just a moment where we got all these muscles activated around the knee and there's a lot of them. So this is like 40 minutes of work. And then we just asked him to like go back to that injury. And it was like 10 to 20 seconds of contemplation. And then I tested the muscles I just worked on and they all had gone back to like a weakened state. That's very cool. And then I was like, all right, bye. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, So we just redid the work, but it was an important discovery. In that there was a lot of fear, as there should be. I mean, you know, this is like 10 months of therapy riding on this like (laughs) jump, you know. So, of course, jumping and thinking about the incident would Mm -hmm. be very stressful. And so, the yeah, so there was a kinesthetic consequence to that, which the muscles got weaker, which makes you essentially more vulnerable to any other re-injury or who knows what else. Or, you know, just not performing in general, just dropping literally dropping the ball. So that's my story. And I do, I tell people that often before I'm saying, okay, I got this thing for you, but let me tell you the story first. Cause the mind is so powerful. <laughs> I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm going to use that story. That's a great story in terms of what I do too. Yeah. Because on, on my end, in terms of dealing with the neuroplastic side of pain, it is all about creating a sense of internal safety. If you can, if you can have the person stop viewing his body, whatever that body part or area is, through a lens of danger, mm. mm-hmm. if you can get them to view it through a lens of safety, you've that's huge. That is huge. They're on the road to beating that neuroplastic pain, which is why. You know, working together with someone on the PT side, someone who's working the physical as well as the mental is, I've always loved those experiences when I'm working with a patient who's also got somebody who's knowledgeable about these things, helping them to explore physically and activate the muscles and use the muscles while I'm working on the mental side of things. It, 
it goes so well. It goes mm. so well because it puts these two pieces together. It's kind of like what we we're talking about with the clinical hypnosis and the CBT. Mm. You're getting the the logical way to think about it, and then you're putting it into practice and you're using it. Mm. And when you do that, it's so powerful. Yeah. I wonder if larger sports organizations are starting to piece this together. Cause I know there's like psychological type of programs in sports organizations and, and anybody, especially like tennis and fighting and golf are not unfamiliar with psychological, let's say techniques to enhance their performance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm wondering if team sports has started to really embrace that. And gosh, a step further would be hypnosis. I've worked with a bunch of combine football players Mm -hmm. at this perfect age (laughs) of, you know, where they can really grow physically, mentally, just so many things. Right. Yeah. And, and they're at the top of their game and they're not playing football. So they're actually getting in really good shape because they're not getting beat up. I mean, how wonderful would it be to have some kind of reprogramming in their program, right? Is reprogramming in a, a good way to kind of uh, give it a lay term? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a good way to think of it in terms of, you know, because people, when we really think about ourselves, how rigid mentally are we? Mm. we we're always responding in the same ways to the same stimuli. Oh, I have this, or I'm loving Mondays, or I'm hating Wednesdays, or uh, this kind of exercise is is difficult. So it's like you see so much rigidity mentally, and hypnosis is a great tool for helping people to become more cognitively flexible and think about something that they've been thinking about all the for a long time, but in a completely different way. So, so I really like the idea of reprogramming as long as we don't get into the negative connotation of like, I don't know, I think there's some really cool spy movies and stuff where they reprogram people and they control their minds. And that's not actually a thing, but being a patient, a receiver of clinical hypnosis, it was very welcomed. It was very relaxing you know, in one way, it feels like there's like a little vacuum cleaner just taking out all the conscious things that are on my mind. Yeah. Just vacuuming them out. You know, they're going to be there. Like, right. Like they just go into the vacuum bag. They're just, they're going to be there. Right. But if I can get it help, it really helps you just clear that out just for the, 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 what is it like 20 to 50 minutes that you're, you know, receiving the treatment. So what do you tell people who are like, Oh, hell no. <laughs> I, the, here's, here's what I tell them because I get, I don't, I don't get a lot of hell no's just because <laughs> people know what I do, but I get a lot of skepticism and I get a lot of, uh, we'll see, we'll see humans naturally go in and out of trance. Mm. And a lot of athletes are in trance often when they're playing their sport, when they're exercising. Classic example of athletic trance is, um, you know, I grew up playing soccer. I would play in a game. I'd get done with the game. I'd have a bruise or a scrape or a cut 
I, I had no idea when I got it or how I got it. I didn't feel it. But then afterwards, it would hurt. And so what happens is when I go into that game, I go into a very focused trance state where my brain deprioritizes pain and prioritizes you know, getting the ball, getting into the right position, making the pass, whatever it is I need to do. And then later, it reprioritizes pain again once I'm done and I feel it, right? Mm. We as humans are going into trance all the time. And hypnosis is just teaching people how to do it deliberately. Mm. Yeah. Because when we're in trance, we can do some really cool stuff and we can, and we're also more cognitively flexible. So we can break old patterns. But my job is super easy because I'm just teaching people how to do something that they do naturally. Mm -hmm. Humans do this. It's not like, oh, some people do it and some, no. Everybody goes into trance mm. and we're just teaching how to do it on purpose. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the, obviously I'm, I'm very in, like, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> we need more of that space because you hit a term earlier that was um, like cognitive flexibility. There's something that is very obvious in my work with neuromuscular work, which is, the nervous system flexibility to go from parasympathetic mm. to sympathetic. Yeah. And so, yeah. If I, so one of my jobs is really just to help the body flip that switch. Cause if we get the muscles more aligned and balanced and the body more balanced, that can help that wave, that change of, you know, being totally protective all the time in a kinesthetic way Yep. to being relaxed and feeling more balanced and having better posture. And but if the if the person receiving the treatment doesn't have any type of practice where they flip the switch themselves and go into more rest and yep. digest and healing, the body's yep. not going to heal in a very in a it'll heal I mean it, it, there's always acute healing happening. If right. there is a protective barrier broken, but on the deeper level where, you know, joints, most joints will be just fine with a little arthritis and a little inflammation. Like right. we go decades with inflammation around our joints and have no idea. So that type of deep healing doesn't happen unless the body can do it, can do that work. So what were you going to say? Cause I just wanted to throw that out there and say, I told you so to all my clients. No, it's, it's right on board with what you were just saying. Because when I work with athletes, the first thing I want to give them is, is A, a reliable way to get into parasympathetic mode whenever they need it. And then B, we want to create a conditioned response so it doesn't take you know, 10 or 15 minutes anymore, it takes 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And for an athlete, that is the first thing I do with them. And, and it's incredibly useful on so many levels for them to be able to enter that mode. Because I think in general, athletes tend to be a kind of intense group. Mm -hmm. And, and so they're approaching everything with intensity. They're approaching the way they train, they approach the way they evaluate their own performance, and they approach their injuries which with a certain intensity that isn't always the right 
attitude that's going to be maximally effective. That intensity might work on the field, but maybe it doesn't work so well when you're recovering from a muscle pull or, you know, kind of ripping a tendon or something like that. Mm -hmm. You need to have another mode. You need to be, you know, neurologically flexible. And that, that's why the first thing I show them is, okay, this is how you go into parasympathetic. And then this is how you do it super fast. Mm. Do you think that's a way that they can start to learn more tangibly about like the subconscious aspect of performance? Uh, absolutely. Because once you're in that parasympathetic mode, you could think of it as, you know, you're sitting in the grass watching the clouds right? Mm. That's a very different way of kind of being than I'm going to make this thing work. I'm counting the clouds. I'm classifying the clouds. That's a, that's a different mode than you're sitting back. <laughs> you're just enjoying what you see. And so when you, when you have that more kind of sitting back and enjoying, it gives you access to some of the more subtle things about your personality, about how you view things, how you visualize things, you can start to do deeper work to understand yourself. Because unless you understand yourself, you're not going to be able to make any changes in how you're operating. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Self-knowledge, knowledge of the self. Yeah. So yeah. Important. And that parasympathetic mode is the, is the time to get that self-knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to think you're a piece of crap. If you're just stuck in that, like, Yep. I got to do this. I got to do everything. You know, you're going to, uh, of course, you're going to be like disappointed in yourself because you can't do it all. <laughs> right. And you're in that judging critical mode yeah. that is useful in some aspects, but not so useful if you're trying to understand yourself better, if you're trying to improve, because that mode is, you're just going to be beating yourself up about all your shortcomings. Mm. So as we wrap up, do you have any questions for me? I mean, you kind of hinted at so many interesting things to me in terms of the physical realm. I feel like like the weird question you ask is, I've got incredible passion for, for being a psychologist and I love mm -hmm. this work. And I was thinking, I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, oh, okay, if you couldn't do that work, you weren't allowed to do that work, what would you do? I think I would be doing the kind of work you're doing. Because <laughs> I think it's so cool it's there's so much subtlety and you're still solving problems and you're helping people who are stuck. I would get, I think, a very similar level of satisfaction. So just even when you were talking about the connectivity of the different parts of the body, I, I started being like, what? Tell me more about that. <laughs> Tell me more about everything that you're doing because it sounds oh, really cool. You know, one of my, if I had, if I had to answer that question, I would honestly give like I would love to give tours in a museum, those like plasticized bodies museum. Mm. And I would like to just talk about anatomy. Like I find so much cool stuff of looking at all the connect connections of the body yeah, and the continuum of tissue and the continuum of just all the innards. I think it's so cool. I am a real anatomy geek, but I'm also, you know, very excited for um, different levels of consciousness. You know, being able to to connect my 
wisdom and the things that I learned a long time ago, instead of like where, when I was working through a lot of grief, it's really hard to touch the really beautiful things in life. It's hard to to feel them and sense them. And so I want to spend the, the next 20 years just touching and sensing all the pleasures, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I spent 20 years in a, you know, not 20, let's say 10 years in a cycle of anxiety and grief, you know, yeah. and PTSD and whatever, you know, there's probably a few other terms we could throw in there, but I, <laughs> I want to spend time doing the like really connected, like pleasurable things. Shout out to my puppy for helping me do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is the key point there is there are people who are still in it. Mm. There are people who think that's what life is. Mm-hmm. And they need to know that there's so much more to life. Life can be amazing if, if you can shift Mm-hmm. how you're perceiving it. The world isn't going to change. The world is what it is. But we have tremendous power to perceive and feel and live and be in the world totally differently. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something we can work on and improve. And and your story is an is an awesome example of that. Yeah. And I really I really do this stuff because you know, I, st- I started so much of my formative years with that foot, you know, of, mm. you know, suffer, degeneration and sadness, you know. So being able yeah. to, like, have a clinic where people are excited to they come in expecting it, good stuff. And like that yeah. is badass. Like, I love that more than anything, because. I never forget when I was like younger in in school, like doing shadowing kind of activities. Yeah. And I went to this like physical therapy clinic and I was like, look at all these miserable people in here. (laughs) I was like, gross. Like, I don't want anything to do with this, like at all. And then I went to the fitness industry. I was like, look at all these fucking liars. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then I ended up where I'm at now. I was like, oh. People are excited to learn. They're excited to experience something different with mm-hmm. their body. And yeah. that that's the coolest part about all of this. So, you know, I hope a lot of young trainers and, and coaches listen to this. So I hope you guys, you know, hold on to that message because it's it's really fun when people are are jazzed to 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 prog- to make progress. And then the next level of that is to experience the actual joy of progress because so we get stuck and like that's what you were saying before it's like life is so wonderful so many great things to experience but until you can actually sit down and be like oh this is good (laughs) right um yeah (laughs) like right now is is good and you can appreciate it your story kind of reminded me of when i was in school too and i worked in this clinic and i think back to it now as fast food therapy. And it was just kind of like, get them in, get them out. The therapists were unhappy. They weren't learning new things every day. They weren't excited. And it was just about numbers and numbers. And and I remember thinking, I never want my practice to be like that. And if I create a bigger practice, I never want to have that for other clinicians also. Mm. 
So it was, we both had these experiences where we kind of learned these important things like, no, no, this isn't what I want. There's, there's better out there. Yeah. Well, I will say this. I also got kicked out because I was wearing jeans that were too low and you could see my thong. So I wasn't welcome there either, man. Yeah. You just, you just had to create your, you had to create your own place where you could wear whatever level of jeans you wanted to be wearing. Yeah. Go Brittany. Um, so tell people, um, I, so right now it sounds like you're really, you're, you're growing more of like a student population as well as like a clinical practice. So tell people where to find you and where to learn more about you. Yeah. So, um, the, the bigger practice is GI psychology and it's, and it's just GI psychology.com. And we do, um, we do the work on the mind gut work, but we also do a lot of work with chronic pain and everybody's trained in clinical hypnosis. So, and they're well-rounded therapists. So they're going to work on other problems that come in. And then I've got my own site, drnavidi.com, but I don't really send people to that just because it's just, I have, I have so many patients already that, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? But I just, I, my hope in, in doing this talk is I want people to understand that they all have this, this untapped superpower. And you discovered your superpower in what, 2008. And I tell my patients this is that they might be learning clinical hypnosis for pain or for their gut problems right now, but they're going to have a tool now. They can use the rest of their life for anxiety, if they're feeling stuck, if they're trying to do habit change. Self-hypnosis is so empowering and, and it's such a great thing to have. I feel like everyone, if that would be on my billboard, it would be, you know, learn self-hypnosis, learn how to manage your own trance. Mm, learn how to manage your own trance. Oh, I love that. Man, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, that's a good slogan right there. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, I had, yeah. I had too much fun. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to do it again. Thank okay. you so much. Yeah. So questions from the audience, send them over to us at hello, think fit, be fit podcast.com. And yeah, I want to see what you guys are excited about too. Thanks for listening. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the think fit, be fit podcast network. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. If you're interested in further resources, check out or visit our website, thinkfitbefitpodcast.com.